0: The following message was given by Jeff Shanella, a pastoral intern at Valley Creek Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.valleycreek.church. I am excited to be preaching this morning. I've only gotten to do this a few times, and every time I get such wonderful encouragement from you all, um, and it just blesses my heart. Um, I'm glad to have my son who's able to be in the service. He's Hi. (laughs) Um, You may have heard that the fourth graders, soon to be fifth graders, um, had recently left the normal children's ministry group, so it's just exciting that they will be in the service more regularly with us. But um, we are going to be in Matthew this morning, Um, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, and that is where we are beginning. But before I read our text, I would like to pray. So if you would pray with me. Heavenly Father. You are good, you are merciful, you are kind to us, and I need that now. I need your mercy to get me through this. (laughs) Um, You know that I um, am not qualified, that none of us are qualified, really. Um, It is your grace that sustains us, that you are the one who calls us to yourself, calls us to serve your church, and you are the one who gives us any gifts that we possibly could bring. So be with me this morning. I pray that everything I say um, would be true, that it would be um, backed by your Holy Spirit and by the authority of your word. So go before me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. I was really excited to get this passage. It's short, it's a simple narrative, and it just beautifully reveals Christ's heart. A number of you are currently going through the book Multiply, by Francis Chan. It's part of the one-to-one discipleship program that we started at the beginning of the year. And If you have no idea what I'm talking about, um, or you simply weren't able to sign up back in January when all this started, don't worry, because we're actually about to start another round of that one-to-one discipleship program, and you should be getting an announcement here pretty shortly if you're interested in in signing up. Um, I think it's been one of the most fruitful and just great things that we've been doing in the life of the church so far. But... The book is a terrific resource that walks through the basic elements of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and that is what Christians are. We are followers of Jesus. We are disciples, not just students, not just people who agree with the teachings of Jesus, but those who seek to live them out. And there's a chapter in that book called Why Study the Bible, which is a great question. The author, Francis Chan, first offers several bad motivations to study your Bible, like guilt or pride, you know, to look good. And you may be thinking, well, why would I read my Bible out of pride? Uh, Well, if you've been a Christian for a while, or depending on the context, you may know that you can look kind of impressive by flexing a little scripture knowledge here and there. Uh, For example, some of you in this room may remember when Joel Shorey, who is now the senior pastor at one of our sister churches in Newark, Delaware, Redeemer Fellowship. He recited the entire book of Hebrews from memory on a Sunday morning. It, it took about 45 minutes. I know because I went looking for that video the other day. And I thought it was a little funny that 11 years ago, which startled me when I found out that that's how long ago that was, 11 years ago, When it was posted online, it wasn't posted on YouTube, but on a website called Vimeo. Um, I don't know a lot of people who use Vimeo, but apparently it's enough for 82,000 people to have watched that video. And that has to be like a million, 10 million YouTube views. I don't know. But (laughs) obviously, you know, Please don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to accuse Joel of showing off. I don't think that was his motivation. I remember it being just inspiring and powerful, but it was also obviously very impressive. It was very impressive. And that's a potential motivation for us in studying our Bible. But what should our motivation be? That's the question. Listen to what Chan has to say. He says, The best place to begin in refining our motivation for studying the Bible is to ask a simple question. Why did God give us the Bible? We're used to the thought that the Bible is God's word, but why did he give it to us? Why did God decide to speak to us in the first place? Well, one reason that seems obvious is that he wanted to describe himself to us. From beginning to end, God is the subject of the scriptures. That's one of the main reasons, if not the reason, the Bible is so vital to our lives. That's why it's preached every week in this room and all over the world. And that's why this passage is so beautiful because he is beautiful. And from it we can see what he's like. So that's my goal this morning for us to see from these words in Matthew what our God is like. And I've just got two very simple points for us. One is that he calls, and the other is that he heals. So one of the first things that we see in our text is that Christ makes the first move. He is the one who initiates. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. There is the call. He calls. Follow me. Now, I don't know about you, but I get a lot of calls that I ignore these days. (laughs) Telemarketers, I feel like my phone always says potential spam on it. I get those you know, messages about my warranty, my car warranty that's about to expire. I've never had a car warranty, so I just ignore those. Um, but there are calls that you can't ignore. And Melissa and I, my wife Melissa, had one of those calls about nine years ago. We were pregnant with our second, her a little more than me, and For our first, we decided not to know the gender. We just wanted to be surprised. Uh, But this one, this is our second. We already had our surprise. We wanted to know. So we were pretty excited about the 20-week ultrasound because that's historically where people find out is around 20 weeks. Well, it became apparent uh, pretty quickly that something was different this time than the last time. Um, It took longer than I remembered. The sonographer, that's the person does the ultrasound, she, she was a bit quieter and more focused than I recall. And when she finished, we were asked to just wait a moment to talk to the doctor, who ended up coming in after a while and telling us that there were just a few abnormalities uh, with the measurements. But not to worry, um, really the chances of something actually being wrong based on what he was seeing was like 1 in 50, you know, like a 2% chance, that's not, that's not that bad. A couple weeks later, we got a call after some blood work, and we were then told that our daughter would have a 98% chance of having Down syndrome. Um, It is not a call that we expected, it's not one we could ignore. We had no idea what the Lord was calling us to, the future that would lay ahead of us, or the joy that would be coming into our lives. Well, I'm pretty sure that Matthew had no idea either. We have no reason to believe that from the text, you know, Matthew was seeking Jesus. He was just sitting there. But it's obvious that Jesus sought him. Jesus tells us in Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Every disciple of Christ, from the very first fisherman to this tax collector, to you and me, have responded to a call. It's a call to follow him. A call to faith a call to repentance. But what kind of a call can this be? Like who can just up and leave a livelihood? Tax collecting, that was his livelihood. Or a lifestyle. Who can just up and leave certain relationships or the attachments to things that dominated our thoughts or, or defined who we are? What kind of a call can transform its hearer so completely? And the answer to that is an effectual call. It's an irresistible call. A call that comes with so much grace and power that it demands to be answered. Make no mistake, if you know Christ today, it is because Christ first knew you and he called you to himself. Now, this is a profound and a deep mystery A deep reality that we're wading into that a lot of people can find difficult or uncomfortable. And I'll just start by providing a disclaimer. We take God's word very seriously at Valley Creek. As I said before, this is God's revelation to us, to His people. He wants us to know what He's like, He wants us to know what the world is like, He wants us to know how we are to live in it. And though this revelation, our Bibles, reveals volumes, enough for you to spend your whole life absorbing and being transformed by. It doesn't reveal everything. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. There are mysteries and complexities to God and his ways that we're just not privy to, and that's nothing new. The church knew this? Israel knew this? Just read the books of Job. Read Romans. We don't have all the answers, but we have all the answers that we need. And one of those answers is that if you have come to know him, it's because he called you by name. You individually were called This was a rescue mission from the very beginning. And we're not the heroes of the story. He is the hero. He is the one who does the rescuing. Listen to this account from John chapter 10. It's a time when Jesus was teaching in the temple and he is confronted um, by certain Jews. They They begin asking him these questions. It says, the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Friends, you can take great comfort in the fact that your deliverance, your salvation, was his idea. It was his plan, it was his work, because that means you're safe. You are safe in his grip. No one can snatch you out of his hand. It's nearly impossible not to, when we're talking about these kind of things, draw from other scriptures, like especially Ephesians chapter 1, if you know that one. It says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is a reality, an answer to one of those questions that can carry you through your darkest valley. When you feel like your faith is slipping, or you feel like your strength is failing, know that it's not your strength that matters. He chose to adopt you. He chose to make you alive in Christ Jesus. And the last time I checked, nobody has ever chosen to be adopted. Nobody's chosen to be made alive. They are are chosen. It is something that happens to you. And if you know Christ, it's because he once walked by your tax booth. And he said, follow me. And you got up and you followed him. But that's another answer. Another reality that we can't ignore. Matthew rose. He got up from that tax booth and he followed Jesus. Jesus. The sheep hear his voice, and they follow their shepherd. We must respond to the call. Just a few weeks ago, you might remember Nick, uh, talked about the cost of following Christ. And I know many have paid a cost for following Christ in this room. But there were many who didn't. Some who did not follow. who turned aside when the call was too much for them. Because all who hear the call do not follow. We all have a choice to make, and we are responsible, we are accountable for that choice. If you were to take out your phone and Google what's the most well-known verse in all the Bible, you're going to get John 3.16, I can guarantee it, I tried the other day. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's a wonderful verse, It summarizes the gospel so beautifully. And there's a reason that people quote it. It's so well known. But people don't tend to know the verses that immediately follow. And this is what it says, 17 through 20. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Amen. But whoever does not believe is condemned already If we refuse to repent and believe, then our judgment is deserved. Hating the light, we can't bear that our evil works would be exposed. Unable to admit that we need a savior, we would spend eternity separated from his light that we have hated and all that is good. Now, how exactly these realities interact, his effectual call and our own will and responsibility to respond, it's not fully explained. We don't have every answer, but we have the answers we need. So if you're sitting here and your question is, well, what should I do? What should I do with his call? The answer is, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Hebrews three fifteen. As Peter told the crowds in Jerusalem, who, after hearing the gospel, were pierced to the heart, on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And if your question is, well, what do I do about my friend, my family member, my neighbor who doesn't know Christ? The answer is don't be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power, the power of God for salvation, so share it. You have no idea what God can do with your efforts, your prayers, no matter how how imperfect they may be. I recently got an email update from David and Mandy England. They are a couple of the missionaries along with their four children who we support who are in Thailand. And they were telling the story of an outreach that they were doing a few months ago. Um, they, had handed, they were handing out gospel tracts in um, the city center. And they handed one to a guy on a scooter who just drove off. <laughs> um, well, he must have stopped at some point and, and read it. Because a few minutes later, he was back. And he was wanting to talk to them about this Jesus. Well, he has since been attending church regularly and this email shared that he was just baptized the other day because the harvest is plentiful he is calling people from all walks of life from malvern from thailand from everywhere and if you have already responded to that call just rejoice rejoice and praise him for removing your heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh and take comfort that he called you by name and that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So he calls us. Point number two, he heals. Back to our passage. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came, and they were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Again, God's heart, what he is like, is revealed to us by by Jesus' interactions with both groups here the tax collectors and the sinners and the Pharisees who can't even believe that he would eat with them. So let's start with the Pharisees. Unfortunately, some in the church have been prone to the same kind of mindset that they had. In my experience, it is by no means the norm, but there is a reason that a certain religious stereotype exists. Some are guilty of haughty, arrogant, condemnation of others, looking down on the irreligious or, or anyone really, puffing themselves up for what they consider their righteous living. And this isn't the only time that these two groups, Pharisees and tax collectors, are you know, compared, kind of juxtaposed. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18 that really just hits the nail right on the head. Um, so I always prefer his words over mine. We're going to read it. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. If you are prone to seeing the sin in others as evidence of your own goodness. Or if you get a little boost to your self-esteem as you think of someone else's faults, I can tell you that God does not approve. As sinners saved by grace, there is no room for that kind of pride. Jesus tells the Pharisees, go learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So we should probably know what that means, right? He's referring to the prophet Hosea, which Dan um, read for us this morning. For I desire, some some versions say mercy, some say steadfast love. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Hosea was prophesying at a time in Israel where they were far from God. Chapter 4 describes them in very bleak terms. It says, There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. It's a pretty bleak description of what Israel was like. They had all but forgotten God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who had delivered them time after time from Egypt, the Philistines, just read, read the Old Testament. It's just one episode after the other of Israel turning from their God and God rescuing them in their affliction. Well, at this point, you know, maybe they were still going through the motions, doing some sacrifices here and there, thinking that that was enough to keep him happy. No. God knows the difference between a heart that loves him and one that's just hiding behind this. You know veneer of religiosity, just doing your religious duties because you're supposed to. I mean, going to church is great, and we should be reading our Bibles, we should be serving and giving. please come to the workday if you can. But as soon as we start to believe that our good works, our spiritual performance is what is earning or, or maintaining a good standing before God, that we're, we're, we're in trouble. And perhaps something that we should be paying attention to, maybe like a helpful barometer for this kind of Pharisaical pride in our hearts, is how we feel about the people around us. How do you feel about other people in the church? Maybe other people who aren't doing as much as you. How do you feel about people outside of the church? How often do you disparage or insult people with different political opinions? I'm not talking about agreeing with everyone or navigating the reality, the many forces that oppose the gospel. I'm talking about how our feelings toward other people reveal what we think about ourselves. Are we sinners saved by grace, or are we trusting in our own righteousness? Jesus didn't exclude the Pharisees. He says some pretty harsh things to Pharisees, but he didn't just exclude them. They weren't like, this message isn't for you. Paul was a Pharisee, Nicodemus, likely Joseph of Arimathea who gave him a tomb, but he came to heal the sick, and most Pharisees were convinced that they were quite well. So now let's consider those who didn't have any um, false pretenses about how amazing they were, the sinners and the tax collectors. There is a hymn that a lot of you probably know that I really enjoy, and it expresses Jesus' heart toward these people. I think we have one of the verses up, yeah. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. This hymn was written by a man named Joseph Hart, who was born in London around 1712. He was raised by devout Christian parents, but he went astray in his youth. He became what, at the time, was called a libertine. Um, it's basically, uh, we might describe it as like a hedonist, you know, someone who just gives themselves over to whatever, uh, whatever passions they have, whatever desires they have, believing that moral living, that the restraints placed on people with this moral code are just unnecessary. Well, he even published a pamphlet at the time entitled The Unreasonableness of Religion, trying to convince others. Obviously, Christ had other plans for Mr. Hart, who was converted, who responded to Christ's call in his mid-30s after hearing the preaching of George Whitfield, And he would go on to himself become a pastor and a well-known hymn writer. Having lived a life of unapologetic sin, Many in Hart's day would have likely dismissed him as a lost cause, a cautionary tale, someone to be avoided, probably not willing to have a meal with him. And I can only imagine that this passage was uniquely precious to him, stirring up so much love and affection for Christ that it inspired what would become his most enduring hymn. Come ye weary, heavy-laden, lost and ruined by the fall, If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous. Sinners, Jesus, came to call. Christ loves sinners. He loves them. He loves you. If you feel unlovable, unwanted, know that Christ doesn't just tolerate you. He loves you. He wants to be with you, and he invites you to come Be with him. That line, if you tarry till you're better, it means if you're waiting to come to Christ until you've got more to offer him, until you've cleaned up your act, you'll never come. He's not calling the clean. He's not calling the impressive. He's not calling the people who have their acts together. He's not calling the righteous. He's calling sinners. The reality is you may have done horrible things, things that you are deeply ashamed of. Your life might be in tatters, but Christ knows. He knows the depths of your sin. He knows the mess that you're in, and he's not repulsed. He's not repulsed by you. He doesn't avoid you. He draws near, and he wants to heal you. Those who have no Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, he is the great physician. And I can't help but wonder how this truth lands on you. This truth that Jesus loves you, it's the greatest thing I could ever share with anyone. It's the only sure source of hope and comfort and security that any of us have. But it is something that so many don't understand. Some people misapply it. Some people mock it. The heart of God is to heal and to restore like a physician. His love is active. It drove him to the cross. It drove him to suffer and die for you, for the objects of his love, so that they could be made well. How often the world misses that. They think of his love more like a doting grandparent who's you know all smiles and approval, proud of you no matter what, but offering really nothing else. No guidance, no hope for change. That's not, that's not the love of Jesus. Jesus wasn't drawn to the sinners and the outcasts because he thought they were more fun or more authentic, you know, a little more down-to-earth than those Pharisees, he was drawn like a compassionate doctor to a sick and dying child. He wanted to heal them. He wanted to give them a full life, and that is our desire also. Valley Creek Church, this church, hasn't been around long. The reason it's around at all is because Jesus touched a group of sin sick, broken people who didn't even know how lost they were. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He healed us. He delivered us out of darkness. And we can't help but want that for everyone else in Malvern. We are still weak and needy, but in Christ, we have seen relationships restored. We've seen forgiveness extended, anger evaporate, addictions overcome. We've seen the aimless find ambition, the greedy become generous, and the embittered soul satisfied. We have seen hard hearts melt. Those who once hated God fall on their knees and worship Him. I will tell you that no one here, no one in this room, no one out there is too far gone. Neither is your child, your spouse, your coworker your neighbor or your enemy. He came to call sinners, not the righteous. May we remind ourselves of this amazing news every day and may we proclaim it to any who will listen until he returns. Amen. Let's pray. Father, your mercy astounds us. It should astound us. And if it is not astounding somebody here, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would break in with an effectual call. That we, each of us, would know your mercy. That while we were still sinners, you died for us. You sent your Son to die for us, Lord. I pray that none of us would forget that and that all of us would feel the boldness, feel the encouragement of your Spirit to go share it. Lord, that the harvest which is plentiful may be all the more, that more sinners would come to know you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Jeff Chanella given at Valley Creek Church. For more information on the church and other messages, please visit us online at www.valleycreek.church.